Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders to kick this one off. We're going to do a little bit talking about enclosures. I've covered this before, but it was it was kind of a unique situation the other day where what happens is when I come home from work, usually I boot up my computer and all my YouTube notifications pop up. I have a little pop-up windows that come down and tell me all the comments. And I had a, two comments right in a row that just couldn't be more polar opposite and it was just interesting because I've known this, you know, this is one of the topics that exists in the hobby and kind of a silly one, honestly, because I, I think it is, it's, it's kind of a gray area topic. But anyway, the first one I think was on something where I, one of the enclosures that I showed in it was an acrylic enclosure and somebody went on and went, what a huge waste of money. Those things are overpriced. You don't need something like that for a tarantula. You can put it in a plastic bin and it'll do great. Something along those lines of, you know, why spend the money? And then the comment right after it was, it's a shame you put that beautiful animal in that ugly, disgusting looking, you know, sterilite container or whatever it was. It, those weren't the exact words, but it was, it was a pretty venomous comment. You should get them into something prettier and look into acrylics or glass. So I found this incredibly amusing because what are the chances that you get one, you know, a person from one side of the argument, a person from the other side of the argument, uh, two totally different videos. One of them was an old one too. And two totally different videos with two totally different opinions commenting within, I think it was in like a minute of each other. It just, it was too cool to pass up that opportunity to talk about this because it is something that comes up quite a bit. And I've, I've talked a lot about enclosures and I am winding up. I did years ago an enclosure video where I went through some types of enclosures you can use. It's, I went back and watched it and it was like so bad because it was like me and Roan in my garage that was a dump at the time, you know, just showing some of the things that I've used over the years. But the idea was to show people you don't have to spend a, a lot of money on enclosures. You can, nobody's going to stop you, and that's something I'm kind of spending more money on enclosures now because, as I've mentioned, I'm at a point where I don't want to acquire too many more species. I have a, I'm at my limit as far as what I'm prepared and what I think I can keep in, to the standards that I want to keep them. So when you don't, when you're doing a hobby, I mean, I think part of hobby, uh, being in a hobby, is it's something you dump money into. And when you're in a hobby and you can no longer acquire animals, then you start looking at other things. So the enclosure. So I'm, I'm building up and doing nicer enclosures with them now. I'm enjoying it. It's keeping me – I don't want to say keeping me interested. It's not like I'm going to go away. But it, it, part of the tarantula hobby is acquiring things, and, and it's scratching that itch, so to speak. So – as I was saying, we made this video years ago, and it was kind of showing people just some of the different types of enclosures you could do, and it's, it's terrible. So I've been thinking about doing another one, and I really want to lay it all on the line and show all the different things I've used. And I think it'll almost be overwhelming because we just cleaned out the garage this summer. Billy and I rented a dumpster, and at the time, I'm like, there's no way we need a dumpster this large. I just have a few things I have to get rid of, and we, we filled it up completely, and a lot of it was old enclosures that I don't use anymore. We recycled because it's just I gravitate toward new things, but I really want to show people that you can keep them in almost anything as long as it's appropriate. And sometimes the pretty enclosures, you can't find a pretty acrylic enclosure to do exactly what you need it to do to keep the tarantula the way you need it to keep it, need to keep it. And that's the sad truth about it that I know there are some companies popping up now and some people that are starting to do smaller ones that are starting to 
make their own custom tarantula enclosures, which is great, but for a while we haven't had anything like that. And even some of those custom ones, they're built to specifications that it may work for them, but it may not work for what you're looking for. So I'm the video. It's I'm trying to. We've already shot some stuff for it, and it's going to be a long one because I'm literally got everything I use and try to explain what I think they're good for and where I think the shortcomings are. So for example, I've moved into using the Exoterra ones that I didn't use in the past, and and the funny thing is, in this older video, just to show how tastes change and how you know opinions change over the years. In this older video, one of the things I showed was my Exoterra Nano Tall that I had retired and put in the garage and I said I don't use these anymore because I don't like them well now I have I think probably 10 15 of them in use maybe even more so taste will change opinion it's it's all it's an opinion thing and I think what we need to really keep in mind which it's more so the folks that want them in the expensive enclosures that they can be in anything as long as it's appropriate a sterilite container can sometimes be a more appropriate enclosure than some big Acrylic one. I saw somebody that had the Jamie's enclosures. I love the Jamie's tarantulas enclosures. I have a few of them. I would someday like to get more. I don't know if she's changed this, but on the older ones where the vent holes were drilled, it prohibited you from putting in more than a few inches of substrate. So if you had a fossorial species that you wanted to give a lot of dirt, you were kind of out of luck as far as these enclosures because you were limited by where those vents were. So I had somebody contact me, hey, Tom, I got a, a juvenile H. gigas and I've got a Jamie's enclosure, but I'm having some trouble because it doesn't seem to have enough substrate to dig in. It can't make a tunnel. And there is a problem with them. So there's a situation where you're buying a top of the line, beautiful, they're beautifully constructed enclosures, but it's not necessarily appropriate for the species you want to keep. Or the other one that gets done quite a bit, and I've done some experimenting with these, and I've changed my opinion a bit because back in the day, I thought they were useless for all terrestrials. And now I'm seeing that if, if you landscape them correctly, they can work for some of them. But the Exoterra, the 12-inch cubes, 12 by 12 by 12 inch, a front open, they have the two doors that open in the front. They have the lid that comes up. I, I've grown to like them because of the two, you know, you have the front access, you have the top access. And I like sometimes when I'm rehousing, having multiple angles to be able to go up the spider. And I think those, unfortunately, I'll get somebody like somebody just picked one up and emailed me and asked, is this going to be adequate for a full-grown Lazyodora parahybana, an LP or some bird eater? And I was like, no, it's not. Unfortunately, because it's only 12 by 12, it's a decent size. I think they're really good for medium spiders, medium-sized spiders, five, maybe six inches, depending on the, the size of them. They seem to work very well for those. They are limited, once again, by how much substrate you can put in. So although you can angle the substrate, and this is what I like to do with mine when I landscape it, I angle the substrate so it's angled toward, you know, it, it hits a peak at the back of the enclosure so it's angled down from the back because the front because of those opening doors you only have so much room for your substrate because that the litter dam beneath the door is there and I think it's only about three inches or so so that leaves a good you know that the thing's 12 inches tall and you can only put three inches of substrate in the front that's a nine inch gap between that and the top of the enclosure so the good thing is if you angle it the only spot that'll be nine inches a uh, nine inch gap or nine inch drop because that's what we're concerned with what the terrestrials climbing and possibly injuring themselves 
if you angle it and do it in such a way, it, it's only that very corner where it's that much of a drop. You can have it, you know, eight, seven, six, all the way up the back where you can really, you know, minimize that drop. So I do think they can work. I would just encourage people and caution people that when you put your decorations in, what you don't want to do, and I've seen this many times before with those types of enclosures, is they'll set it up, they'll put in like two and a half inches of substrate, so not a lot of substrate, and again, that's like a 10-inch drop from the top. And then because there's a lot of room, they try to decorate it with a lot of things and they end up putting a lot of sharp de- decorations in there so I saw one that had like a skull that was looked like it had some sharp edges and a fake plant that looked a little it was one of the hard kind of deserty ones you got to be careful of stuff like that you got to make sure that if you you assume the spider is going to climb and then if you assume the spider is going to climb because they are you know clumsy terrestrials you've got to assume that the spider is going to fall and if the spider falls and it falls from that nine inches up or 10 inches up or, you you know, if you really don't put a lot of substrate in 11 inches up, then and hits one of those sharp edges, you have all the makings of a disaster. So that's something to be very cognizant of. So I've seen some layouts. I had somebody email me not that long ago with a setup and it was great because they're like, could you tell me if this is a good setup? Because I've got a lot of stuff in here. I'm a little worried. And I looked at it and I was like, all right. They had some like, it wasn't a Lego house. It was something that it looked almost like a Lego house, but it was a plastic house. And there were a lot of sharp edges on it. There was a sharp peak to where the roof was. And I was like, you know what? I personally, I, I get where you're going with it. It does look very pretty. But if you put that species in there, and I believe it was a bee hammeri, if you put that species in there and it climbs, even if it just climbs for a couple of weeks as it gets used to the enclosure and it falls on that peak, it, it could get injured. So, oh, no problem. I'm going to pull that out. And they added a little more substrate. Look great. So, again, the substrate, uh, the substrate, the enclosure debate kind of drives me nuts because there is no right or wrong answer in, in a sense of whether you use a cheap one or an expensive one. It doesn't matter. It's what's appropriate for the spiders. So I always use the example when I got my first T-Sturmy, I wanted to make sure that I was able to keep it correctly. And I had a bunch of nice enclosures, but the nice enclosures, I really wasn't sure. Either they offered too little ventilation or I was worried about them being too too ventilated. A lot of, you know, the top ventilation, I'm not a big fan of because the, the water evaporates more quickly. I just couldn't find anything that worked well for me. So I ended up getting a Ziploc uh, airtight container it was a big container it ended up being like it was like 15 gallons or so like a lot of floor space it allowed for me to add the ventilation I needed so what I originally did was before this and this was back when I was like still a little bit green as far as keeping tarantulas this is my first theraphosa species I had read all these things about how dainty they are and how if you don't get your quote-unquote humidity just right they're gonna die and I've honestly learned that's all bs since then but I and I did know even when getting mine I wasn't worried so much about humidity I was worried about keeping the substrate dry and some of the things I had looked at that I wanted to use for mine again somebody recommended the exoterra 12 by 12 by 12 but then I'm thinking if this thing turns out to be 10 inches you know even even if it, on the smaller side, if it ends up being 10 inches as an adult, that's way too small of an enclosure for it. So I wanted something it could grow into, and it was going to be like a sub-adult. It ended up being a male, but it was a sub-adult, five inches or so. So I used this Ziploc container. I was able to drill the amount of holes I thought I needed, did the, a lot of side ventilation. I was able to add several inches of moist substrate. And again, that's my big thing with the moisture-dependent species. You want more depth because you want to make sure that you can keep that water from evaporating very quickly. It, it, the trick is to make sure that there's always some moisture on those lower levels. So I was able to set it up. I added the water dish. I added, you know, the moist substrate. I added a little hide for it. And then I just 
just let it sit for a couple weeks and monitor it. And I noticed I was getting some mold on the surface. So right away, I'm like, all right, there is not enough ventilation in this thing. And I was able to go take it, drill some more holes in. It was kind of a pain in the butt because I had that substrate in it. So I had to take some cardboard and strategically block it to make sure the plastic didn't fall in. But I drilled a bunch more holes in it, let it sit for a little while, had it where I wanted, had my spider shipped, and everything went very well. And I had people, when I posted some videos, a couple of people were like, man, that's such a beautiful animal and such a dis- you know an ugly enclosure not getting the point of the enclosure was providing what my animal needed. It didn't matter what it looked like. And I get it. I get the idea and I do get it more now than I did, you know, earlier in the hobby. But again, I never argued it. I get where some people get frustrated because they see these gorgeous animals. And again, if you keep a tarantula, generally speaking, you want to see the tarantula. It's a pay. It'd be like grabbing fish and having people come over your house and go, oh, what's in that? And you have like all these like castles and everything and you can't see any fish. It's like, it's kind of boring. It kind of defeats the purpose. So a lot of people see it as if you're going to buy one of these beautiful animals, you better darn well get an enclosure that's going to allow you to show it off, that's going to allow people to see it and, and appreciate the beauty. So they get very, very irritated and upset when you put it in an enclosure that obscures that beauty in any way, whether it be a milky enclosure, whether it be one that just doesn't look pretty aesthetically on the outside, whether it's one you can't see through very well, whatever it may be, that irritates people. And I do get that. But paramount when you're setting up an enclosure shouldn't be what the enclosure looks like. Your spider is not going to get up one morning, look around and go, my gosh, this this plastic around me is so filmy and milky. I can't see out. I can't see the spider that's next to me or the spider that's across from me. It's just not going to happen. It's silly. Your spider is going to look for is is the the moisture are the moisture requirements met? Are do I have a water dish? Do I feel secure? Do I have enough substrate to dig in? Do I feel like I can hide when danger comes? Do I feel like at night there's some cover when I go walk around that I'm not completely exposed? Those are the things your spider is going to want and need. So to pretend like your spider is somehow being abused, and yes, I had the term abused used recently, and we're going to get back to the abuse one in a second part of this conversation. Um, that's just ridiculous. I'm sorry. The spider is not being abused. I've seen people with glorious, glorious, beautiful, so creative custom environments they built for their tarantulas with, you know, I saw one that had like castles and it had like a moat and all this cool stuff. But the thing wasn't really appropriate for the species. There was water running through it. There was a bubbler keeping the water. And it was an arid species. So there's somebody that did something that looks beautiful. People are going to go, wow, that's great. Friends are going to come over and go, wow, you know, I don't like spiders bad. That setup is just amazing. It's like Game of Thrones or something. This is incredible. But the spider is not going to appreciate it. So I do think, and that's one of the things I'm going to try to impart when I do this video. And again, I would do a a podcast version of it, but it, truth be told, it's it's a visual thing. This is one where I need the visual media. I will probably do an article for it as well because I can include pictures and stuff, but this is one I think really just fits videos as far as being something where people can see it in action. I want it, I don't want it to be a scripted one. I want to be breaking them out, talking about it, going through the different things I've used, want it to be more natural. But I'm very excited about doing it. I'm sure I'll get some people chiming in and we'll get a nice debate going, but it, it'll be a fun debate. So... Anyway, I thought that was just amazing because one of the it's a comment that pops up on my videos every so often and honestly, I don't take as much of a beating as I probably could. I've seen other people take a much greater beating. I, I get a lot more people on my channel I think that have a better understanding 
of what tarantulas need and don't get caught up in the aesthetics of their enclosures as much. So I will have, the, I, I looked at some of my old stuff. One of the things I was thinking of doing, and it was kind of because I told my daughter I'd do this, but when on YouTube, for people that don't watch YouTube or aren't familiar with YouTube, there's kind of this thing where every time you get a certain number of subscribers, you're supposed to do some big special, some big, hey, I got a thousand, I got 5,000, I got, I think I did it back in the day when I got a thousand because my daughters and son or both love YouTube, and they're like, you got to do something, you got to do something, and I felt corny doing it. We're talking about if I hit a certain number in the future, maybe doing something, because I think it would be fun to kind of look back at how, for lack of a better term, how crappy my early videos were. I can't even believe I ever ended up with any type of audience, because they're just atrocious, like, they're, they're poorly shot, and again, it was because I had my kids helping me, and I really wasn't taking it seriously, it was just like, all right, here's my phone, you want to tape this, I'll talk a little bit about it, one of them, I looked up, I was so completely inarticulate, and I can't believe I put it up there, so it was kind of nice to see in a way that over the years, I have made improvements, and I was thinking it'd be cool to kind of do, like, an anniversary thing, where just look at, you know, look at how far we've come, and while going back and looking at some of this older footage, which I've loathed to do because it's it's embarrassing, quite frankly, and I, I was looking at some of my older enclosures and just looking at how far I've, you know, I've evolved. I think that's part of the hobby. And again, we've talked about things that you do when you start becoming, quote unquote, you know, an expert or a veteran in the hobby, some things you can start to do and change up. And one of them, I think, is just kind of examining what, what are you putting them in? Or is there nicer stuff out there? I'm right now upgrading a lot of my collection. I'm doing some of the bioactive enclosures. I'm just doing some prettier enclosures overall. But going back and looking at those old videos, it was kind of a trip to be like, oh man, I haven't used those in years. No, I don't use those anymore. Some things, it was just the aesthetics of them. I didn't like the way they looked and I upgraded them. Other ones, you'd figure out there were certain things like some of the mainstay containers I used to use. I don't use as much anymore. They are pretty and they do work well. My big thing is with the rehousings, they get caught up, the spiders get caught up in those corners. It can make it difficult. But it was neat because it was kind of a way to revisit some things I did before and critique my old older stuff. And, and in some cases, I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. In some cases, I was like covering my eyes like this is absolutely atrocious. So it will, you know, I will let people know as it goes, this is going to take a little while to put together this enclosure one. But I want, my big thing is with the enclosures is there'll be people that will do videos or they'll do, you know, articles or whatever it may be talking about tarantula husbandry. And I have a pet peeve. I hate using that term because it, it just makes me sound like I'm negative, but it's just something that kind of rubs me the wrong way. When people show an enclosure, like this is the way you have to keep it, or they don't make it clear. I, I was watching one the other day that I love because the young lady was showing off her tarantulas. She goes, this is what I keep them in. This is in no way, shape or form what you have to keep them in. There are many other things. I like that. I like giving people a choice because unfortunately I've found that a lot of the people that come to YouTube for their information, just they'll find somebody they like because of the personality, because the animals look cool, whatever, and then assume everything that person says is just, that's the standard. That's the gold standard. That's what everybody does. And they don't stop to think, all right, this is just one person. Let me see what everybody else does. So with this video, I hope to kind of encourage that thought process that this is not, and anybody that's watched my husbandry videos, I always give several examples of things and then usually end it with something around this size would be appropriate. So here's a ballpark figure, a gallon to two gallons will work great. Find something that works in those dimensions, something a gallon to two gallons. It offers more height than floor space for an arboreal. 
Run with it. Something that offers, you know, more floor space and height because it's a terrestrial. Run with it. I try to give people a choice. So that's what I'm hoping with this. It'll kind of hope to combat some of the, you know, instances where people, I've had people come to me and go, well, blah, blah, said you got to keep them in this. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sure they didn't say that. They might have led you to believe that this is the correct way to keep it, but it doesn't have to be kept that way. So again, trying to encourage that open-mindedness, trying to encourage that spirit of, you know, using critical thinking to examine what people are doing and, and try to find out if there are other ways to do it. I always think that's important. I always try to encourage folks, don't just listen to me. Part, partly due to the fact because I like to think the information I'm giving is good. So when you go out and explore and find more information, you're probably going to find a lot of things that say exactly what I say because I'm, I'm, it's the general consensus. It's usually not just my opinion. I'm trying to, I call my information from a lot of different sources before I start using it in my own collection. But partly because you shouldn't just be listening to me. I could be just, as far as anybody knows, I could just be one of those people that picked up a bunch of spiders one week and said, you know, I'm doing a YouTube channel and just start showing how to take care of it. In some cases, these people are good. Some cases, these people have no idea what they're doing and they're spreading that misinformation. You don't know. So go out there, find more information, see what people are thinking. So that's, anyway, that little, this ended up being a lot longer than I thought it was going to be, but it was a fresh topic and it's like, I find the podcast so much fun to just kind of, I feel like I'm having a conversation with somebody about it. It's as close as I can get. You know, I've already gone through this. Billy listens to all this stuff anyway, but it's kind of cool to just bounce it off of people and be like, eh, you know, this is what I'm kind of experiencing. This is something that I'm hearing. And it was just so amusing to me to see both of those comments pop up literally a minute after each other. Why spend money on the expensive ones? Why do you have it in something so crappy looking when you should be spending more money on your beautiful animal? You know, same type of thing, uh, just different viewpoints. So I thought that would be cool to discuss. The other thing that has come up twice lately, which is bizarre. And again, I've gone through the handling thing before. And honestly, it's one of those topics I don't get into much because I can see both sides of it. I personally don't do a lot of handling. I I get why people handle. I've spoken before about how handling a spider for the first time was huge for me getting over my arachnophobia. Was that selfish of me? Probably. It was. It was for me. The spider got nothing out of it, I don't think, but I did get a lot out of it. And here I am years later, not scared of spiders, doing a podcast, a website, and a YouTube channel on it. So I can see good coming out of it. I can see bad coming out of it. I've talked to somebody recently that backed up, you know, one of my stories about the first time I tried to handle where she tried to handle a Bialbopolosum and the thing started to fall and it used its fangs to catch its grip on her and scared the ever-living heck out of her, and it set her back years. So it, it can go both. I get the arguments for handling, and again, I, the reason I'm able to understand it is I look at some of the terrible things people do to their animals, whatever the pets may be, and in the grand scheme of things, somebody re holding their spider, being careful with it, yes, does it put them at risk? Yes, it does, and I think you need to know that. Does it put the spider at risk? Yes, it does. As much as you may think you're not going to jerk your hand if a spider bites you, you never know. If the spider shoots up your arm and it's on your back, what do you do? If the spider ends up, you know, dropping from your back, what do you do? I do think it introduces, in, in my opinion, some unnecessary risk, however, I've talked to people that have done it a million times and never had an issue. So what do you, how do you quantify that? How do you sit there and go one way or another? It's, it's not right. It's right. Whatever. I personally don't do it. I don't feature handling in my videos. That's fine. It, that's my thing, but I can't sit there and tell people don't handle. And I have a lot of friends that handle and I'm not going to sit there and not to tell them handle. They do it responsibly. They love it. It's part of their pet experience. So if 
my buddy wants to get out his Bialba Pelosum and hold it for a little bit while he's watching TV and he's doing it, you know, carefully and the spider doesn't seem to be stressed. Who am I to say anything about it? My big thing is, and, and the reason why I completely got away from it is when I moved into working with old worlds. The problem is if you're, if you're working with new worlds and a new world goes to bolt, you can stick your hand out and catch it. You're probably not going to get tagged. You're probably just going to grab the spider, throw it back in. That's fine. But what happens is you create those habits of sticking your hand out to catch a spider. And then what will happen is you're doing an old world species and the spider goes to bolt and you go to stick your hand out there to grab it. Spider gets spooked. You're tagged and it's going to be a heck of a lot worse than the beast thing people used to talk about. So that, in my mind, that was why I got myself in the habit of not doing it. I can tell you I've slipped. I've... The other day I was rehousing one and I stuck my hand out. It was my nandochromatis and just kind of blocked her and she turned around, went right back in. But I realized afterwards that was not a good thing to do because had it been, well, A, she could have tagged me. It would have been nasty because she's got some decent sized fangs. And B, if I'm doing that with an old world species, I could end up with quite the bite and it's quite the debilitating bite. So again, just I've had people go, you're wishy-washy on this. It's because it's not one, you know, when you got to... there's a subject that you're very passionate about and you'll argue one way or the other. I'm not passionate about this. I'm not, there are some people that are very passionate about not handling and they'll come out, don't ever under any circumstances. That's fine. There are people that are passionate about handling and that's what this one's about because I didn't realize how crazy some of these, it started like this. I got it a, a, it's YouTube's been up crazy lately, but I got a message on YouTube where somebody went on my newest video with the 13th best beginner species as chosen by keepers and went, I'm really worried you're going to be one of those, but what did they call them, idiots or something that doesn't, one of those idiots that tells people not to handle and then basically insinuated that it was abusive to the spider to not handle it. And that one was like, one, like a lot of times, again, I don't get into the arguments. It's I've got better things to do with my time to get in the middle of a discussion that's a very gray issue. But in this case, I was a little perturbed. Like, A, I think you called me dumb. That was it. Uh, D-U-M. And so I did respond to this one. I was like, could you, you know, please explain a little bit more? Most spiders at best will tolerate handling. They're not dogs. They're not fuzzy animals. They're not animals that are seeking affection. So they will tolerate handling. I have heard of situations, and I can't discount this, where people have handled spiders to the point where they seem to be quite receptive to handling. They'll put their hand out the spiral, climb right into their hand, I do have my H. Talensis that will climb right out into my hand when I open up her container and she'll just sit there. And again, but she's an anomaly. Most of mine don't do that. So at best, I think, yeah, that some of them will tolerate it and they don't seem to care very much. And maybe they get, con- I, I do, I have seen some evidence that they can be conditioned to be less, you know, resistant to, to handling and more tolerant of handling. I always throw out there though, which this is the big one that kind of, you know, it goes against the idea because people will go, all right, I've tamed it down. But then we have situations where a tarantula molts and totally changes its personality. So how do you account for that? If if a tarantula has supposedly learned to appreciate handling, a molt shouldn't change that. Why does the behavior change? That seems to lead to me, it leads me to believe that it's not going to be a forever thing, that it could change at any time, in which case we can't really say that species A or species B, you know, completely tolerates handling. Some don't, some continue their whole lives, they're fine. But I've received emails from people very concerned because they have a pet that they've handled for years and then suddenly it's throwing up threat postures and kicking hairs at them. So that's always the one that kind of throws me off. But anyway, 
it blew my mind to think that somebody thought I was, and it bothered me. I have to say it offended me because I have an issue if somebody comes on and says that I'm, you know, mistreating my animals. That's that's a bad one for me because I'm not mistreating my animals as far as I know. But to come on and say that people that don't handle are dumb and that you're technically abusing or neglecting the spider by not showing it love, that one blew my mind a bit. And again, there's all types of people out there. And we there's people out there that are a little bit, you know, wackadoo in, in their thought processes and everything. But it, it just really made me realize how some people come into the hobby and they, they bring over that idea that all animals want to be cuddled. They, they've probably grown up with you know, dogs, cats, ferrets, even hamsters and gerbils can be kind of a pet rat that was absolutely cuddly as heck. They probably grew up with those and they try to apply that to tarantulas, but they don't understand that it doesn't work that way. Now, it wasn't just this instance. Somebody else came over and I must have, I think it was the same video. I must have made a comment about not handling myself, but I usually leave it open and just say I don't handle myself. But for people who do want to handle, this is a species that supposedly can be handled which you would think would indicate to people that I'm obviously not dead set against handling. But anyway, somebody else came on and made the comment, I don't understand why you don't handle, what is the point of having these things? Why don't you give it to somebody that actually cares about it? And I'm like, scratch my head, like, you've got to be kidding me. And as I've mentioned, I did a whole thing about my issue with quote unquote trolls where I sometimes have an issue where I assume the person is just ignorant. Not ignorant is a slam, but ignorant is not educated, does not have the knowledge they need to properly assess the situation. And being a teacher by trade, when somebody doesn't is ignorant about something or doesn't get something or, or has a misconception, you don't make fun of them, you don't yell at them, you don't call them a troll, you try to explain it. So what happens is I fall into these traps sometimes where I'm and, – and I don't even know if they're traps. I think in a lot of cases they really are genuinely people that just – don't get it. And I tried to go back and explain. So I went back in this case and engaged, which I shouldn't have, but I can't leave something out there. It's a compulsion. I can't just go, all right, you know what? She said something a little silly. Moving on. I have to hope that I can reach this person and change their mindset. So I came back with, well, you know, the whole, obviously everything we just shared, they can be conditioned. They don't like it. Nope, I got a story how she calls hers and it comes running to her and sits in her hand. And if she doesn't hold it, it goes into a stress pose because it's unhappy. And then we just disengage from the conversation because there was nothing else to, to say. She's seen things in her collection with her spider that she is, and who am I to discount that? I, I Do I believe it? No, but she's seen it. How am I going to argue what she's seen with her own eyes? What she believes she's seen with her own eyes. We disengage, but it... It drives me nuts because the handling thing won't, although I will say it could be me and maybe it's just because I really don't socialize as much on the boards or anything anymore. It doesn't seem to be such an issue anymore. Back in the day, there were constant, constant discussions about handling. Somebody would come on and go, hey, here's a picture of my new spider and it was in their hand and everybody would jump on and go, don't handle them. They're like fish, blah, blah, blah. It seems to have calmed down a bit where people don't discuss it as much, which is good. But it's I, I do believe it is still one of those places where you got people kind of in the middle, like myself. You've got people on one side, you've got people on the other. And it, it it's never, we're never all going to see eye to eye. And I think part of it's due to the fact that it is one of those, again, gray areas where you've got a guy who's who paid for this animal, who loves it dearly, who is it selfish for him to take it out? I, I don't know. I guess it's if he's the only one getting anything out of it, great. But 
is it helping him to enjoy the hobby? Is he treating his spider well? Is he feeding it all the time? Does it have a clean environment? Does it have a proper cage? I mean, the spider's obviously benefiting from this, and he's benefiting from it. So who's to sit there and say? I, I don't know. But anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting, the fact that, you know, again, the, the handling thing came up, the fact that I try to be diplomatic when handling it. You know, again, I do the beginner, when you do a beginner species, you'd be an idiot not to include something about handling because the problem is a lot of people that get into the hobby, they're new into the hobby, think that it's mandatory that you handle or think that it's an you know, integral part of the hobby that everybody handles and they're actually surprised to find out they don't handle. I've had people like, what, what do you mean? You don't handle any of them? I'm like, well, I have like one, but not really. I've handled a couple, but not. it's not something I sit there and go, oh, I'm going to take this out and play with it today. I just don't do it like that. They're surprised because they haven't been informed. They don't realize there's another way of looking at it. A lot of times I will just people will ask about it and I did an article years ago about things to think of before you handle and it wasn't to dissuade people from handling as much as it was to educate them about why some people don't handle and then let them make a decision I've had some people go you know I'm glad I read that because I was going to force myself to handle I was a little scared of them now I realize I don't need to I enjoy them just as much without touching them I've had other people go thanks so much it made me think about it a little more before I handled but I handled anyway whatever it may be but again, it's just a topic that doesn't seem to go away and pops up occasionally and love addressing it every once in a while because I do think I've, I've heard it said both ways. I had somebody that bothered me. It was a comment or something like, oh, Tom Moran's dead militant against handling or dead against handling. It was on somebody else's video. And I'm like, uh, I don't handle. I, I don't encourage handling. I don't. It's not something I show on my videos because I don't want people to think that this is the norm because, again, you're a YouTuber. What is it? The influencer thing. I hate that term. I absolutely loathe that term. But you can influence people into thinking this is what people do. And I don't want to influence people into doing something that I myself don't do very often. So or almost at all. So that's why I do it. I'm not going to sit there and admonish people that do it. I will encourage them to do it safely if they're going to do it and to look for information about why maybe you shouldn't do it. But that's it. Then I step back and it's totally fine. So anyway, for those of you that handle, feel free to chime in. I, again, I... I like to hear from people on both sides of the argument, and I think it's good for people that are, you know, kind of on the fence or just getting into the hobby to hear from both people. Because instead of just for me, right, what are the pros, what are the cons, what have you seen? So finally for this one, this one ended up being kind of a hodgepodge, but there were just some things that popped up during the course of the week that I thought would make for a fun combined podcast. And I got to make sure I put them all in the description because I have some people that get really testy if I don't mention every single topic I cover. I always try to put the main topic in and then let it kind of be a surprise. Like, oh, and then I talk about this, but other people are like, yeah, I had no idea what I was in for. So I guess there's some folks who don't like surprises. But anyway, I was approached by a buddy of mine, Shanti, who does uh, has a YouTube channel and she's putting together a video about breeding and specifically the statistics of the males getting devoured or eaten during breeding. And it was kind of an interesting thing because she's looking for footage, some breeding footage and some numbers. And... I, it's, this is an interesting topic for me because I have, and I've mentioned this before that I have issue with folks who, and this is not towards Sean. She's fantastic. I've always enjoyed it. She's very, very nice. She's, uh, just a super person, great channel. It's just other things I've been privy to where I've seen videos and I've mentioned this before and I have no problem with, you know, stating this. It drives me absolutely nuts when people treat the males as if they're completely disposable, drop them in with females, do nothing to monitor it. And then when the male inevitably gets munched, just go, oh, yep, that's what happens. It, it kills me. And what really gets me is when folks, the YouTubers, you know, the ones that are like, all right, this is how we take care of animals. 
set a, a terrible example by dropping the mail in, spending all their time mugging for the camera while the breeding is going on, and then the mail gets munched when you could see it coming from a mile away. And that drives me insane because for folks that breed, we know how precious the males can be. We know that, you know, there's a situation I, I was talking recently, and just to, to give an example from my own collection, I bred one of my female uh, bee caboclos, and we got a good insert. She was doing great, but she ate the sack. Now, had I allowed, I'd not intervened. Now, if you, when I put the video up, I kind of have the female held back, and they flip up, and the male ends up gets a, getting away. He actually did most of the work. I don't think I really did all that much, but I was sitting right there trying to make sure she couldn't latch onto him, because had I let her latch onto him, she would have eaten the male. She would have melted out and molted out. I would have had no babies and no male. What, who, what does that help? Who does what? What type of like, I don't get the logic of just letting them get devoured. I bred my C. versicolor a couple of years back. I got my mail from Tanya at Fear Not Tarantula. She came over and she's like, hey, do you need a C. versicolor mail? I have one that I just got back from breeding. And I bred it to mine. And she's like, do you want to use it? And I'm like, yes, I would. So he bred. That guy probably had three or four sacks. Now, if we just let him get munched, and again, the female, in some cases, the females won't munch the males. And I've noticed that with the baboon species in particular, at least the ones I bred, the females seem to be a little more gentle, a little more forgiving. Some of the New World species, they seem to be a little more munchy. But now imagine that male was able to produce how many slings? If he had gone in with a female and nobody had monitored and she had munched them, they went, oh, oh well, there would have been hundreds less slings on the market. I just don't get it. And then I remember when I first got into it, and please, anybody that's been breeding for a while that wants to chime in on this one, I'd love to hear it. But there was that, I thought it was a myth. At the time, I thought it was an interesting thought, but that certain species need to eat the males to produce a sack. And I remember hearing it going, that's really interesting. But then people are explaining like, oh yeah, it stimulates something in the female. They, they get, you know, they get the insertion and then they eat the male and that stimulates something. Now, the way I've always seen it, is that it's kind of a survival of the fittest thing. And with the males, most of them, if you see a male from a species that's a notorious muncher, they're usually trying to get the heck out of Dodge through the whole molting process. So for example, Bumba Cabocla is, they're notorious. The females are notorious for munching the males. That male was so nervous and was so desperate to not get locked up by her. You could tell, it's almost like, over over the centuries of them breeding or however long they've been around, the male has been programmed to, all right, she's going to try to eat me. I got to get in and get the heck out. The same thing with if you watch uh, Hapalopus species, Columbia Largest, they have this weird mating ritual where the male kind of wanders backwards as the female pursues. And I've had this happen three times now. And then the male, the female in both cases, in my cases, and I was upset about this because I felt bad because it was a buddy of my Brandy's male and I was hoping to show her the video and not show her her male get munched but in both cases the female like munched him one it was my fault because she backed the male into the catch cup I couldn't get the catch cup out because I was afraid it would startle the male and she'd eat him but they ended up marching right into the catch cup they made it and she crunched him the second time I was sitting right there ready to go and as he got insertion she just bent the little guy over and ate him there was no chance to, of pulling him out but I did notice those guys tried to get the heck out. Like, they bolted. My baboon species, although they seem to be a little more gentle, they'll do the molting thing and then they'll scuttle away. Like, we're not taking any chances. But there was this thing out there that certain species had to eat the males to produce a sack. And I don't know if this is one of those false positive things where a guy, you know, say somebody breeds the thing twice. Nothing happens. The male gets away. He doesn't get a sack. Or they get dummy sacks. I've heard of that one. And then he breeds, the female eats the male, and he gets a perfect sack. 
And he immediately says, oh, that's what it takes. They have to eat the male. No, not necessarily. That could just be a situation where the first two times the conditions weren't right and she had a dummy sack or a phantom sack or whatever. It could be a situation wherein the second time, just the, the all the things that needed to be aligned, the temperature was right, the moisture levels were right, it was the time of year, whatever it may be. And the male, when she ate the male, it might have just provided the perfect amount of nutrients at that time to get a good sack going. Because again, with that survival of the fittest thing, when you're a female out in these inhospitable conditions, you've made it. Now you've got to get the energy. You've got to consume enough food to produce those eggs and produce that sack. And what better thing to have a convenient, you know, lunch-sized male sitting right in front of you. So if they munch the male, that's their first meal. I was explaining to my kids when we were talking about how, you know, sad it is sometimes that the males get eaten. But trying to explain that that ends up being the first meal that allows that female to produce those hundreds of slings that are going to go repopulate this, you know, species in that area. So it's kind of, it's sad in a way, but it's helpful. But I don't think they munch them all the time. And I would need to see some really compelling evidence to make me believe that certain species absolutely need to eat the males to produce. Could it help? I guess it probably could. In some cases, I think it could hurt. I had one situation where the female, and that was with my Hapalopus species, Columbia large, I like to get my females pretty fat before I try the mating. Unfortunately, I've had a couple molt out. That's my fault. Got them a little too fat. But in one of the instances, the female ate the male and basically, that was what it took to put her in pre-molt, and she ended up molting out. She was too fat after that. So that was a situation where it did not work. But I think, you know, I'm really curious about this video, and I'm really hoping, I'm, I'm, I don't want to say worried, but I don't want to be part of something. I'm going to be, I'm going to be giving some footage over to it. I have footage of my B. Kabulka. I have one with my Harpactera pulcropies. The last time I mated her, I was right in there with the paintbrushes hooking her her legs so she couldn't munch him and the male was able to get away and you'll see me right in there like making sure this male didn't get eaten because it, it belonged to a buddy of mine Charles who was nice enough to give me the male to work with and I really want to get slings for him and make it a successful pairing so I want to make sure that male got out just in case and I'm glad because again she molted out she was kind of fat when he she was really fat when he sent her along but I tried the pairing anyway and she molted out but I'm Really, I don't want to be part of something that sends the message to people, and I will not be part of something that sends a message to people that it's okay to let the males die. Because I got a funny feeling what we're going to hear, because we're getting all different perspectives, which is good. I'm all about different perspectives, as long as the perspectives are valid. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm judging, but I just want to, I'm hoping it doesn't send the message, well, if you want a good pairing, then the male is going to get eaten. So we'll see. I'm very curious about it. I'll definitely be, you know, pointing people in the direction of the video when it's out. I'm very curious to hear what people have to say. But if, you know, if I have to do some disclaimers afterwards with the podcast, I will because I just don't, I, I have a very difficult time with that. And I talked to somebody recently and I, I don't want to say I scolded them, but I might have scolded a little bit where they went, yeah, I've, I've, Read my female three times now. She ate the, the male. And it happens. It happens with some species. Let me make that very clear. There are certain species and certain ones that it, it can be tricky. You're not always going to get the male out of there. But it's the whole, well, you know what? They're disposable. You, you throw them in there. If she eats them, fine. I had one guy that was breeding. Oh, gosh. What was it? It was a New World species. And he's like, yeah, I dropped the male in and just left them in there overnight. I figure worst case scenario, she gets a free male. What? Like, these things, some of these things are hard to come by and, and it doesn't make sense. We know that in many cases, the female is going to eat the male. So why would you leave him in there? And guess how this one turned out? He came in the next day and she had a great big male and never laid a sack. 
So anyway, I'm kind of, I'm excited about this video, but I'm a little worried because I guess the people that, you know, submitted information and submitted comments did so anonymously. And apparently there's going to be a myriad of perspectives on it. And it sounds like one of the perspectives is going to be, if you want a better sack, then the female is going to eat the male. And I don't think I completely agree with that. So we'll see how it goes. I'm very curious. I'd never, I would never tear anything apart and I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. It was just one of those things I'm sharing because I do struggle. I love doing collaborations with keepers. I love, you know, seeing different perspectives, how, you know, contributing the videos that other people are putting together that are going to help, you know, spread knowledge of the hobby. I just worry sometimes because this is a situation where it happens to be a topic that I do have pretty strong opinions on. And I would hate to be, you know, have one of those, something where it, it didn't, go or didn't give the message that I was hoping it would give. And apparently, and Shanti's incredibly bright and she's doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of different people. So I should probably just shut up and see what the heck happens. But my thing is with the Tom's Big Spiders, and I'm going to say this word even though it makes me sick, brand, which I don't see myself as a brand. I see myself as a teacher that's using a bunch of different, you know, types of media to, to get to people. I don't, I'm not trying to be some type of famous YouTuber or whatever. That's not what this is about. But I, as far as my brand's concerned, my big, my only worry when it comes to Tom's Big Spiders being put on something is that the information is accurate. I've turned down, you know, collaborations in the past where I was worried that what the person was trying to do didn't quite jibe with what I like to do. So not that I'm judging them, but just I thought that this is not the message I would want people to get from me or have me reinforcing. So I take a step back. Not It's nothing personal. Do what you need to do. I'm just unfortunately not going to be able to participate. In this case, it does sound like something's cool. I do want to hear what people have to say. It will give me information. You know, it could be something we go on here and go, the video is amazing. And people, maybe they do have compelling evidence of the fact that they have to eat the certain species do have to eat the males to reproduce and, and have a good sack. I don't know. It could be interesting. So I'm very curious about it while at the same time, a little wary only because I don't, anything I've ever contributed to, I know pretty much exactly what's going to be included in it. Somebody will be like, Hey, we're doing this. I know that I know the outcome of the video when I give my, you know, support and, and put my information behind it or my footage, whatever it may be, or do an exit. I know exactly what I'm getting into. This is one of the few situations I think what it comes down to is I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. I'm not sure what the final message is going to be. I'm sure it'll be fine, but it's just that not knowing, like, because I, I, we kind of went back and forth and I quizzed her a little bit only because like, all right, so what is going to be the final message of this one? And she goes, well, we're just going to look at it from a bunch of different perspectives and leave it open. So if it's open, that's good because that's what I always try to do and try to leave it up to people to decide or do more research. I, it, it sounds like it's going to be a great video. Again, it's just that fact that I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's got me weirded out a little bit. So that'll be a good one. That'll be a fun one. And maybe we'll do a little review of it when it comes out, which will be great. You know, I'll put the link up and we'll go through it and we'll discuss some of the stuff. I got a funny feeling it's going to give me bottom line. I know for a fact, I just know because if she's getting a bunch of different perspectives, which she should, which is great, there's obviously going to be a perspective that doesn't jibe with mine. I mean, that's, this is one of the few topics that I kind of take. I, I don't think it's a hard stance, but I do kind of, I have, my beliefs on it. I think you should try to save the males and use them again. But it'll be interesting because it'll give me something to comment. Maybe it'll change my mind. Maybe, again, maybe somebody will come out with some type of compelling information that we should be letting them eat it. I don't know. But that'll be something you guys can look forward to in the future. We'll go through that. And again, I'm not going to be, regardless of how it turns out, regardless of the message, I would never trash another person's work. I would, I might give my opinion, go, all right, this is what the video said. This is what this person said. This is kind of what I think. But it'll be fun. Or we may go through it and just go, this was amazing. It was neat hearing this because one thing that she brought up, which I think is 
true is it's very difficult getting information from breeders. A lot of people don't like to share their information. A lot of people don't keep a lot of the data and the details. I like to because if something goes wrong, I like to change the situation next time and figure out how I could improve it. So for example, with my B Cabocla, the sack, the fact she ate the sack, my assessment of the situation was the it was too dry. The enclosure wasn't large. I don't the enclosure right off the bat, I was worried wasn't large enough. But the fact that it dried out so quickly, I think she was just like, all right, the conditions aren't good. I'm not gonna be able to keep them alive. And she ate it. Hopefully with the new enclosure with a lot more deep substrate, she seems to have more room to roam. She can burrow better. Hopefully this time around the breeding will go well. But as Shanti found out, a lot of people don't keep that information or don't necessarily give that information up. So should be a great one. I'm excited about it. You know, nervous, but excited at the same time. One way or another, we should get a cool podcast out talking about it. And either we're going to have a great video or we'll have a great, but, you know, maybe a little bit uh, controversial, maybe. That'll be fun. I mean, I think we're going to get something cool that's going to, and again, any video that can get people thinking and talking, especially about one of these hot button topics, is fantastic in my book. So, all right, that'll be a good one. All right, so that should probably about do it for this one. Next week, what we're going to be doing, I was going to do it this week, but I just wanted to kind of lay back and, you know, talk about a couple things that popped up. I, I like the conversational stuff, but we're going to be doing Harpacteria pulchropias because it's been brought to my attention that although I just did the featured species on YouTube, I never did it for the podcast. And again, that's still trying to wrap my mind around the fact that there are technically two very different audiences. I think there's obviously crossover, but just because I did it on YouTube doesn't mean that I did it on the podcast and the people that watch, uh, listen to the podcast might miss out on that. So we're going to cover that one. Also, obviously, I'm not going to be have my next episode up before Thanksgiving. So for those of you celebrating Thanksgiving next week, and my Lord, did that come up on us quickly. I hope you all have a very safe and amazing Thanksgiving day. I'm kind of looking forward to it. My brother's coming down and we don't get to see him all that often. So we'll be having a you know, nice little Moran family Thanksgiving at home here, which is the way I like it because... I'm pretty much a homebody and pretty antisocial and hate having to go out on the holidays. I'd just rather sit at home. I have my own family. You know, we have four kids and the dogs and everything else and obviously a lot of spiders. It's just comf comfortable, more comfortable here. I can eat food, pig out, and not have to worry about driving home. So we'll be doing that. But I hope you all have a really great Thanksgiving and a safe Thanksgiving. And that should about do it for this one. So as always, if you know, you're know you not aware, I do have the, I mentioned it several times during this. So if you weren't before this one, you are now, but I do have a YouTube channel, Tom's Big Spiders on YouTube. And then I do have the website, which I know I keep talking about putting new articles up. I, I promise there is a lot of stuff coming. I currently have seven articles. Billy's helping me edit them out. And that's part of the problem is that I don't have anybody to really look at these. I have friends that I've tried to, <laughs> to get to help me edit the tarantula stuff and they they just don't want really anything to do it. It's like there's not even pictures in there. I get you don't like spiders, but can you just edit for content? So it usually involves me. I have to, when I write something, I have to let it sit for a while for me to have any chance whatsoever of catching the errors because I get too close to the text and then I miss stuff or there's a word missing and I just read it as if the word's there. So I have to give it time. And the other thing that helps me with the editing is actually when I do the scripts for the videos, when I read the the video, the scripts out on the videos, I will read exactly what is there. So if I screw up, it's pretty apparent and that helps me edit them. But also Billy's been great over the years with helping me edit my stuff. So they're not completely filled with typos. There's nothing worse than like it happened a couple of years ago. There was a video that had like 50,000 views and I went on and it was a glaring typo in the first line. And I was like, this is so embarrassing. Like Tom's Big Spiders is illiterate. So 
I am working on that. I'm polishing them up. I'm giving thought to tweaking the website design a little bit. I just don't want to lose any of my traffic because I've spent years on the site, working on the site. It, I've got some good traffic. I don't want to do anything that's going to hurt that. But there are some things I want to do. So be looking forward to some upgrades to that in the future. We've got Thanksgiving break coming up. So I'll have some extra time there. And then obviously Christmas break this year is going to be a long one for me. So I'll have extra time there. So hopefully we'll get something done then. So as always, thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch you guys all next time.